Welcome back to another episode of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network, where listeners can learn about leadership and other related qualities from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. At Talent 409, we help athletes discover their talent altitude through workshops and seminars while increasing their opportunities for success on and off the field. In addition to athletes, we work with coaches and administrators to enhance their education on how they can positively impact the performance of their teams and programs. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all at Talent409, and connect with me on Twitter, at ColinTalent409. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you have time, please take a minute and give it a five-star rating and review. Help us grow and keep the podcast content strong. These ratings really do help others find the show and consume the content, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this, as well as being loyal listeners to the pod. We have another ratings and review highlight today. This one was written on December 9th, 2018. It comes from D 9 titled Great Listen. And the five-star review says, Always a go-to before work to get me ready to win the day. Thanks, D 9 for the great review. Glad this helps you win the day. Today's podcast guest is Adam Telefero. Adam is a former college football player at Penn State University who suffered a catastrophic injury during his freshman season. We talk about that. We talk about his recovery and what he's doing now in life after sports. It's a great conversation. I'm really excited for y'all to hear it. But first, let's settle in, get comfortable, and let's get down with Montel Jordan. This is how we do it. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today I have Adam Telfero on the line with me. Adam, welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Colin, I appreciate you having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. This is an exciting conversation for me being a not only a Penn State football fan, but a former student and just having seen the evolution of you as a person. I don't want to give everything away. So I want to dive right into this conversation. And I'd like to start more towards the beginning with your athletic career from humble beginnings to a multiple star athlete in high school. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what your athletic career was like before you got to Penn State? Yeah, definitely. I was uh, I was actually born out in uh, out in the Pittsburgh area, and then uh, my, my dad got relocated to uh, South Jersey when I was about one years old. So all I all I remember growing up is uh, you know growing up in South Jersey, and thankfully had you know two great parents that had a younger brother. But growing up, you know, I I tried all the sports. I, I you know soccer, baseball, uh, football, basketball. But for me, there was something about football that really drew me to the sport and, and you know growing up I was always a smaller guy 
and my mom hated football with a passion. She, she was always <laughs> like, you know, can't you play any other sport besides football? But, you know, I, I started at the age of seven and, um, you know, played all the way up uh, through, you know, middle school. And, and for me, uh, it really started getting serious uh, when I got to high school. You know, my, my, my freshman year, I played freshman football. And then uh, going into my sophomore year, I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, start and play, play varsity. And, that's when I started getting recruited by uh, different schools. And the summer, summer after my sophomore year going to my junior year was my first time. I uh, went up to Penn State for the first time. And it was just a really, really cool experience. And uh, I remember meeting, you know, at that time, me and Coach Paterno for the first time and a bunch of the other coaches. And they said, hey, you know, we're going to really keep an eye on you, you know, going into your junior year. And, uh, you know, some of the coaches and Coach Paterno and a couple of the coaches came down to some of my games going into my junior year. And uh, midway through my junior year was uh, when I got my, my offer, my scholarship offer to, to Penn State. And, uh, you know, it took some time to really think about it, but I decided to commit uh, to playing football uh, at Penn State for, uh, during my junior year. So it was really helpful, you know, going into my senior year and not having that stress of, trying to decide where I wanted to go when I was I was locked in with Penn State and that's kind of how I uh, began my journey off to uh to state college. So you alluded to it and in the book Miracle in the Making there's a lot of references to your mother who maybe <laughs> didn't uh love the fact that you played football. She used to uh, I think sit in the car uh <laughs> because she couldn't stand to watch you get hit on the field and everything. What was, when you were going through that recruiting process, it had to be thrilling for you being a top rated recruit out of the state of New Jersey and having multiple offers. But for her, it probably, there was maybe a little bit of hesitation or something along those lines. So what, can you just give us a little bit more insight into that recruiting process with your parents and with your family and how you ultimately came to the decision that Penn State was the place for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, as you said, my mom, she, she really, you know, in high school, I, I played bas- basketball, football were my, my two main sports. My mom loved basketball because, you know, one, it was indoors, so she didn't have to sit out in the cold. And then her two, uh, you know, if someone hits you, they get a foul. And so it's not a, you know, as physical sport as, as football. So she was really hoping that I would play, um, you know, basketball at the college level, but, you know, unfortunately I didn't have a, the greatest jump shot in the world. So <laughs> I had a couple offers to play, you know, at like the division three level, but nothing at the division one level. For me, I saw a pad, you know, my, my goal growing up was to play you know, professional football one day. And when some of the bigger schools started to, to, to call, you know, my, my very first scholarship offer uh, at the end of my uh, sophomore year from uh, Nebraska. And when I got that offer, I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is a you know, Division one school. And uh, I, that's my thought. I could really have an opportunity to play at the next level. And, you know, being a, a high school athlete and getting, you know, letters all the time and coaches that you, you know, watch on TV, you know, calling your house and coaches coming down to visit you at your high school, which is a really, really cool experience. It, it was unlike any experience that ever been through in my life but the thing that was really awesome was having the opportunity to take you know the official visits uh to the different schools and, f- and for me i didn't you know as an athlete i don't know what the rules are today but back when i was getting recruited you could take five official visits you know to, to the school where you have an opportunity to really see what it's like to to be a part of the, the school and, and the program for for a weekend and 
Uh, I remember I, t- I took really three visits. I, you know, being from New Jersey, Rutgers was a school that was really recruited me heavily, and you know, I really didn't think I was ever going to go there. But I had gotten you know, my high school coach really friendly with the, the coaches at Rutgers, so I, I took a visit there. Really didn't, wasn't too too interested in it. But when I took a, I took a my next visit to, to Penn State, and you know, really it reconfirmed my my commitment there. And it, it's awesome because you get to, you know, they. They show you your jersey with your name, you know, not with your name, but at Penn State, but with your number on it. And, you know, you get to see all, everything that you're going to experience the next year. You get to interact with a lot of the players that are on the team. And more important, most importantly, you get to see what it's like to be a college student athlete. And it was uh, an awesome experience. But then after I went to Penn State, University of Tennessee really started recruiting me pretty heavily. And, you know, I, I, I said, you know, I've never been, you know, down south and, you know, I always heard about SEC football and everything, so I took a visit down to the University of Tennessee, and that was just a really unique experience. I always heard about how much they, uh, you know, love football down there. And mm-hmm. The thing that really was interesting to me is I remember walking around campus and like some of the people like knew my, knew my name, and it was just like this is crazy. You know, I'm a high school player, but they really tracked the recruiting pretty closely down there, and I, I enjoyed it. But at the end of the day, you know, for me, one of the most important things was being able to play, you know, close to home and from where I live at in South Jersey, uh, Penn State was like a little over three hour drive away. And when I committed to Penn State, they were ranked the number one team in the country. This was back in 1999 when they had LeVar Arrington and Brandon Short and, you know, all these great players. So it was just, for me, it was a natural fit. And Coach Paterno said, if I came, I have an opportunity to play as a freshman. So I thought it was a a once in a lifetime opportunity and uh, it really was a, one of the most exciting times of, uh, of my life. So I don't want to skip too far ahead, but I do want to make note, and I think you're aware of this prior to your arrival and even after your time at Penn State, I think it took Paternal a long time to accept the fact that freshmen could play right away. Uh, it was a very old school philosophy. Was there something in particular about your recruitment and your ability to play maybe a certain position on the field where there may have not been as much depth? Was there something in particular or specific about your recruitment that Paterno said to you, hey, you might be able to get on the field as a freshman when traditionally freshmen didn't play at Penn State? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things when I was looking at Penn State. I remember, you know, some some folks, you know, that were close to me were like, you know, why do you want to go to Penn State? You have to register the year. And, mm-hmm. you know, Coach Paterno doesn't play freshman. But the thing that was... Um, reassuring to me was, you know, Coach Paterno was someone, you know, throughout the recruiting process I got to know and really well, and he, he was real genuine, and even our, our defensive coordinator, uh, Tom Bradley, and he was also the uh, secondary coach, so he was going to be my coach every day, and he said, you know, Adam, I, I can't guarantee you anything, but if you, you know, come up here and you work hard, there's going to be an opportunity, to your point earlier, they were, the death was it was the issue up there, they had lost a couple corners, uh, that were going to be, be graduating the year, you know, before I got there, and there wasn't a lot of experience in the defensive secondary. So he said, you know, you'll you'll have just as good an opportunity as anyone else to come in here and play. And you know, me being a, a young guy and, and confident, and you know, maybe even cocky at that time, I said, hey, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm just as good as these guys, and if I get in early and uh, you know work my butt off, I'll have a chance to play. And you know, thankfully, that's how it ended up turning out, and uh, it was a uh, really a fun opportunity but for me it was it was new because in high school I played my primary position was running back and uh you know I played defensive back in high school but you know at the high school level 
we really, you know, teams really didn't pass that much, so it really wasn't uh, too much of a challenge. So moving up to the college level and playing defense full time was something a little bit different, but I was just really excited to have the opportunity to, to come in and play as a freshman. Now you get on to campus as a freshman. Tell us a little bit about that experience, both, you know, football, academics, even your social life. What was that like when you got onto campus? It was, uh, it was just so different. I remember the day after I, I graduated, I went up to Penn State um, to start summer classes because I really wanted to get up there as quick as possible and get into the, uh, the uh, our training program over the summer and really start start to get to know some of the uh, you know all the my teammates. So I remember getting up there and when I got there in the summer, it was it was literally nobody up there except a few folks taking summer classes and you know a lot of athletes that were up there for for summer training. I remember getting into the weight room and you know in high school you're like you're one of the better athletes and usually you know one of the stronger guys on the team. I remember going through you know my first. Uh, training session and I was like wow you know these guys this is a whole other level these guys were strong fast and I was no longer you know the top guy anymore so it was, it was really a humbling experience but you know outside of that just going into class and and realizing now you were just you know a small fish in a, in a big pond you know the classes were now, over the summer, the classes weren't that big, but I remember going into the fall, you know, summer classes had like 200, 300 people in it. Sure. And I was just like, oh, holy cow, like what? what? I, I had never experienced anything like it, but it was just a, uh, an awesome experience, you know, realizing now I was a, you know, a college student, like like anyone going from high school to college, just, you know, you feel like this newfound sense of responsibility and, you know, you're meeting new people and, and you know, I, 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 I would be lying if I said I, I didn't, you know, the, the fact that, you know, you're playing football at a huge school and, you know, you're making a lot of friends, just, you know, people are coming up to you and asking you, you know, do you play football? And it was just, uh, it was unlike anything I'd ever really uh, been a part of. But it, I, I tell you, it was just so much fun. I, I remember, you know, meeting all my, my freshman, my freshman class at Penn State, we had 29 uh, recruits in our class. So I instantly had, you know, 29 new friends mm-hmm. uh, coming into the, the fall. And we were just... Uh, all excited because we just were thinking about the future and, and everything that we had in front of us. And we were playing USC, our, my very first game, our first game of that year, we were playing USC uh, in the kickoff classic in New Jersey. So it was awesome for me because I was going to be able to go back to New Jersey to play my, my first college game. People may be wondering why we are focusing so much on that freshman year. For you, not only did football take a little bit of a turn. You mentioned that first game against USC, but the games after that as well. You guys got off to a rough start that season. We fast forward to September 23rd, 2000. Uh, You're playing Ohio State in Ohio in a game that was all but over in the fourth quarter. Finished, you know, 45 to six, which was the most lopsided loss in Joe Paterno's coaching history. You're on the field as a true freshman, but you're playing out of position, correct? You're in left corner, not right corner? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Talk to us a little bit first about why that decision was made. You mentioned Coach Bradley earlier taking over as defensive coordinator. He was your position coach prior to that. What was the decision to get you on the field during that game and put you in a position that is similar but obviously different from what you're normally accustomed to playing. Yeah, it was you know uh, that that year, my, my freshman year, 
the, the in the preseason, I had broken my thumb, or and I tore ligaments in my thumb. So mm-hmm. the the first uh, three games or four games of that season, I was playing with a cast on my right hand. You know, going into the Ohio State week, I remember talking to you know Chris Paterno and Tom Bradley, and I just got my cast off, so I was you know finally had the use of two hands. And, and Tom Bradley, you know, we called him Scrap. He said, uh, you know, Adam. We're going to try to get you more playing time this week. You know, you, you got both, you know, you got your cast off. Really want to get you out there. So I was just so excited, you know, as a, as a freshman, you know, this was a game that was going to be nationally televised. And I remember flying it, you know, our team flying out to Ohio State. And, and you know, I just remember growing up watching, the, you know, the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Horseshoe. And for me to be out there playing was just, uh, it was hard for me to believe I was, I was out there on the field. But as you said, we were getting beat up pretty good that day. I remember, um, Tom Bradley said, hey, you know, uh, I was playing on special teams and you know, I was getting in on some third downs, but the fourth quarter, the game was pretty much out of reach. So uh, he said, Adam, you know, we want to get you in there. But we, he had a, a couple other guys that he wanted to, you know, in our defensive secondary that he wanted to rotate in as well. So he put me in on the, on the right side because he wanted me to play the entire quarter. So he said, Adam, you know, you've been out there. You, you know both, you know, corner positions. So go out there and play on the right side. And, and as a freshman, any opportunity – you get to play, you know, he could have told me to go out there and play linebacker or give us a line. Any opportunity, you just want to get out there and show the coaches that, you know, you're willing to put it all on the line. And, and that's what I was doing, you know. And, and as you said, the I remember the play like it was yesterday, you know, the, the running back. I uh, was a pitch to a Ohio State running back. His name was Jerry Westbrooks, and he was about 230 240 pounds and at, the, at that time uh, I was only about 180 pounds and I remember him running towards me and I, I just recall I said you know in order to take him down I've got to go low and try to take his legs out and there's a tackle that I had made hundreds if not thousands of times before in my my football career and you know growing up and playing football at an early early age the first thing you're told is to never put your head down but unfortunately you know the game was and the key was coming at me so quick I, I remember putting my head down to try to take his legs out. And unfortunately, his, his thigh hit the top of my helmet and shattered my uh, C5 vertebrae, you know, breaking my neck. And I remember hitting the ground and trying to get up. And I thought I had a, a, a stinger where, you know, you get temporary paralysis and it comes back in a minute and you're, you're back up and good. So mm-hmm. I, I remember telling my teammates, saying, I, you know, I can't move my arms and I, I can't move my legs. After about a, a minute or so, it didn't. You know, I couldn't feel anything, and I started to panic a little bit. And you know, thank God, our team trainers and, and physicians came out, and Dr. Sebastianelli, who was our team doctor, I could tell that there was. I could see he was really concerned when he got out to the field. But they, without them, you know, they basically saved me on the field that day. And I thank God for those those guys, you know, our Penn State staff and even our the Ohio State staff because. Everything they did on the field was was textbook, and they stopped me because I could have done more damage by trying to move on the field. But they got me stabilized, and they took me off the field. And you know, at that moment, everything kind of starts to get a little a little bit blurry. You make what seems like a, a routine tackle on, as you mentioned, Ohio State running back Jerry Westbrook, and you're on the field. There's obviously a lot of urgency. You can see it, but you can't move. But you can see it coming from both staffs. They're both attending. The stadium's quiet. There's 110,000 people that are normally uh, celebrating, and the whole place has gone quiet. Now, you mentioned the fact that they were being extra careful 
and with the spinal injuries and with neck injuries and head injuries in general. And this is before, I mean, this is, you know, 18, 19 years ago. So yeah. this is before we're talking about concussion protocols and different things like that. But we knew the the dangers of football even back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, your situation reminds me of when Robert Kennedy was assassinated. He was laying on the kitchen floor of the hotel. And one of the reasons that the doctors today believe that he didn't survive the assassination is because they ended up moving him too quickly. And they didn't yeah. have they didn't have you know a stretcher. I mean, this is 1968, so this is a totally different time. But they didn't have a stretcher to put him on to stabilize him and stabilize his head, his neck, and his spine, and everything that was affected from the gun wounds. They were super careful with you, took really good care of your body while you were on the field. I remember reading that the Ohio State coach didn't even know at the time how serious the injury was because. As I'm sure you know, after you had gone off the field, Ohio State ended up scoring another yeah. touchdown, and there was a little bit of you know a little bit of back and forth, and you know just bad feelings overall, and yep. and everything. Talk to us a little bit about the transition when when you're being taken off the field and you're being rushed to the hospital. What's going through your mind? What's what's going through your head? Are you even understanding what's going on at that point? Yeah, you know, it, it was, I remember being late when I was laying on the field and they were, you know, they were getting me stabilized. They, they were asking me questions. They were like, you know, Adam, do you know where you are? And I, you know, of course, I, you know, I was in Columbus, Ohio, you know, how old are you? And I said 18 and I'm answering all these questions correctly. So mm-hmm. I'm to myself thinking I can't be hurt that bad. And ironically, you know, my parents from the age, since I started playing football at the age of seven, they never missed a game ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, home and away, you know, growing up in high school and even in college, they traveled to, uh, you know, the, the four previous games. You know, we had two, I think, two home games and we played in Jersey at the kickoff classic Then we played out at Pitt. But because the Ohio State game was going to be, you know, national TV, they decided to watch the game from home. And I knew, you know, when I was laying on the field, I knew my mom was probably good panicking watching the game on TV. So I remember telling myself when they start wheeling me off of the field i want to you know give a thumbs up just to let her know i'm okay and let you know anyone who's watching you know know that i'm okay and i i tried to give the thumbs up and i couldn't do it mm-hmm. when as you're walking off the field so or not as they were wheeling me off the field so when i couldn't give the thumbs up that's when i started to get a little worried like you know this is not good but again the thought of being paralyzed honestly never went through my head throughout the, the entire time because i just you know never think like i think like most things in life we never think the bad things are going to happen to you sure so i was you know somewhat calm but a little concerned because i was just wondering you know it had been like 10 minutes now and i still couldn't move anything so i remember them you know saying we're going to take you to the hospital we're going to give you you know some scat cat take cat scans and x-rays and see what's going on but the one thing they did that um basically saved me was they injected me with the steroid while we were in the uh ambulance going over to the hospital and they, they injected me with the steroid that basically stopped the swelling in my spinal column and 100, 100% saved me walking and the crazy thing about it was back at that time you know 18 19 years ago a lot of not a lot but there were some doctors that carried the steroid and there were some that didn't and thankfully our, our team doctor Dr. Wayne Sebastianelli was a believer in keeping these steroids with him on the sideline and he injected me with it and um if 
they didn't stop that swelling in my spinal cord, that the damage would have been much more severe. And there would be, you know, doctors said almost 100% chance that the chances for recovery would have been pretty dim if I didn't have access to that, that steroid injection on the way to the hospital. Quick break to talk about our sponsor, Sweat with Studs. Are you looking to get in better shape without the large investments of time and money that come with a gym membership? Sweat with Stod's Hit at Home program is the answer for you. Hit at Home is a downloadable PDF that guides you through one month of five workouts per week that don't require any equipment. And if you love to hit at home, there's also a version two with totally new workouts. As a loyal listener to the pod, you can get $10 off each of these programs with the code DYNAMIC, which brings the cost down to $20 per program. Go to www.sweatwithstods.com, put in that DYNAMIC code at checkout, and figure out what you can do with $20 in 30 days. And now back to the pod. You break the fifth cervical vertebrae as you mentioned, and you're at the doctor's office and you get through these initial tests and there's a lot of things going on. Uh, Your parents fly out to Ohio to the hospital to meet with you. What percentage when you you first got to the hospital and the first thing you can remember, what percentage did the doctors give you to say that you'd be able to walk again? I don't remember even getting into the hospital. I just remember waking up at the hospital and seeing my, my dad there. And the first thing I asked him was, hey, you know, when am I going to, you know, when am I going to be able to get out of here and, and play again? Because we were playing Purdue that next week. And I remember being <laughs> really excited because we were playing against Drew, you know, Drew Brees was at Purdue. And mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be, you know, just a really neat experience playing against a, a quarterback like that. So I remember asking my dad, hey, you know, when am I getting out? And he said, Adam, you know, we've got, you know, You've got bigger issues, you, you know, you've been hurt pretty bad. But, you know, the, the crazy thing was the doctors never told me anything. When, when my parents got there, they told my dad that I had severely bruised my spinal cord and that, you know, unfortunately there would be a, a 3% chance of me, you know, basically ever walking again. And, I, you know, I, to this day, I have no idea how they come up with those percentages or how they said 3% as opposed to 5% or 10%. But sure. they told my dad it would you know, be a 3% chance. But my dad and my mom made the decision that they weren't going to share that news with me because they, they were they were as a mindset that if I'm never going to walk again, I'll, I'll, I'll figure that out at, at some point later down the road. But until we're certain about that, they wanted me to stay as positive as possible, as hopeful as possible. So they at, they made the determination that they only want to share good, positive news with me. And um, they kept that from me. So I, I went in, I remember, going, you know, I went into surgery, uh, not knowing how bad it was. And, you know, I got injured that Saturday and I had my, my spinal uh, surgery on Monday, where basically they uh, shattered my C5 vertebrae, so they cleaned out the uh, broken fragments in my neck, put a cadaver bone where the C5 uh, vertebrae once was, and then they put a uh, metal plate in my neck that screwed into uh, C3 um, or C4 and C6, and basically covered the uh, injured uh, vertebrae. And you know, they say it was a pretty simple surgery for the extent of the injury, but uh, I had my surgery out there uh, at the Columbus medical center and you know the crazy thing about it was i was lucky to got to have gotten injured in ohio because where i was at they had a national nationally recognized spinal cord center right there on campus 
But if I would got injured, you know, playing at home at Penn State, they would have had to airlift me to, to Hershey Medical Center. So uh, a lot of things, you know, unfortunately, you know, the injury was unfortunate, but I had a lot of things going in my favor that day that really worked in my favor. So I had my, my surgery and they, then they airlifted me back to, you know, closer to home in Philadelphia, where I, I live right outside of Philadelphia, about 20 minutes outside of Philly, to a place called Thomas Jefferson uh, Hospital, where I was in intensive care for, for two weeks. And then uh, they transferred me to a place called McGee Rehab, where my basically my recovery, my, my journey, my eight-month journey began uh, at a place called McGee. That initial time period, the first three, four, five days after the injury, there are there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of outpour of support, both from the Penn State community, from your family, and even from the Ohio State community. The head coach from Ohio State, Jerry Westbrook, I read all came to visit you in the hospital. Coach Paterno obviously had had personal experiences with an injury similar to yours with both his wife and his son, David. Yep. What was, now leading up to that week, that first week after the injury, you had mentioned Purdue, Drew Brees. Uh, He was an amazing collegiate quarterback, hadn't had a whole lot of luck against Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, some of the bigger dogs in the Big Ten. And he was really amped up for this game. All the injury aside, he wanted to prove that he could beat one of the premier programs in the conference. I know reading about that week and Paterno addressing the team and you you being transported to, like you said, the Philadelphia hospital and your family trying to cope with what information to give you and how to keep you positive and everything. At the end of the day, I'm just, I'm just going to spoil this. Penn State ends up upsetting Purdue after a 1-4 start. Penn State takes home the 22-20 to victory, kind of holds Drew Brees at bay, gets that victory for you. It's super emotional. What was that feeling like to know that your teammates went out there and battled for you? and got you that victory. I mean, it had to be as much of a moral victory, I guess, as there can be, but emotionally it had to have lifted your spirits at that time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that first week after after surgery, I, I mean, they really still had me heavily sedated. So I remember kind of waking up and still being groggy and not really fully understanding what was going on. But that, that Saturday, the, the week after my injury, was kind of like the first day I kind of felt like I was starting to comprehend what was going on. And I remember telling my, my parents that I wanted to, to, to watch the game, you know, watch, you know, Penn State play Purdue. And I remember them turning on the game in my, in my hospital room. And the first thing I saw was, you know, all the players and all my teammates had 43 on the back of their helmets. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. I mean, for me, it just like through my spirits, like, wow, you know, they, they haven't forgotten about me because, you know, being a, an athlete or, you know, like anything in life, like when you're taken away from your element, you just sometimes assume, you know, everyone's going to forget about you. And when I saw like every one of my teammates had 43 on their helmet, and as I was watching the game, I saw people in the, in the, in the crowd had, you know, posters and different things saying, we're thinking about you. And I saw 43, you know, people had 43 stickers all over the place and buttons and different things. So that, I mean, just watching that game really boosted my, my spirits tremendously. And, and I still, I remember I fell asleep during the game because I was still, as I said, really, you know, heavily sedated. So I remember kind of waking up and 
dozing off in and out of the game, but I remember waking up at the end of the game and seeing, uh, you know, Penn State was going to win, and it was just like the I felt like an athlete, you know, I felt like a player again. I just remember getting so excited laying there, and then um, I remember them interviewing Coach Paterno at the end of the game, and he, you know, he was talking about the game, and then uh, the last thing he said was, you know, hey, Adam, if you're watching, we're praying for you, and again, it was just like, it was just, for me, it's hard to put into words, you know, what, what that meant to me. Just knowing that, you know, my teammates, my coaches were, were still pulling for me and that they were thinking about me. And uh, it really just set the foundation. You know, of course, you know, my parents and my family were, were awesome. But that coupled with my, my teammates supporting the support from the, community, the Penn State community as a whole, I, I truly believe really set the foundation for, uh, you know, my, my recovery and, and started me off on such a positive note as I began therapy that, that next week. Yeah, let's dive into that recovery a little bit. Now, at some point, you obviously had a realization that football was no longer going to be a part of your future, at least in the terms of playing and going to the NFL one day, which was your previous stated dream. Once you had that realization, you made another statement that you wanted to lead the football team out on the field. You wanted to walk again, even though you were given that initial 3% diagnosis to walk again. You told your parents, the rest of your family, friends, anyone that was listening, which it was a very high-profile case for your injury, that you wanted to lead the football team out on the field. You didn't give it a date. You didn't say when, but you wanted to do it at some point. Tell us, you don't need to go through the grueling day-to-day details about the recovery by any means, but can you give us a little bit of insight into what that recovery period was like and how you ultimately made that transformation from laying on the bed, not knowing if you were ever going to walk again to the point where things were starting to look pretty positive for you? Yeah, you know, it was unreal. I remember the first time my... uh, physical therapist came into the room uh, a week after I got to McGee or you know, really the first few days after I got to McGee uh, rehab center in Philly. They, the first thing they asked me to do was like, Hey Adam, you know, can you move your finger or like move a toe? And I remember trying to strain and like nothing would happen. And it was, you know, tough at first because uh, I was just like, you know, just a week ago I was playing, you know, football for Penn state, like in the best physical condition of my life. And now I can't even move a finger or a toe. So there were, you know, many times that they were, I would just get frustrated. But I, I tell you, you know, my parents were there, my brother, my family, my friends, you know, they were there every day. So they never allowed me to, to get down. They, they kept me really, you know, they kept me positive. And about three weeks into my, my time at McGee, I remember it was, you know, late at night and my parents I went home for the day. And I was in there with my nurse and, you know, every night I would try to move stuff, you know, literally every minute of the day I would try to move and nothing would happen. That evening, my, my nurse said, hey, you know, are you, are you moving your toe? And I, I said, I didn't even realize like my toe was moving. And she said, try to do it, do it again. And I was able to, able to move my toe and she called my, my, my parents back to the, to, to the hospital that night. And it was you know almost midnight. And. Uh, you know, my dad was like, you know, move your toe, and I was able to move it. And that was the first moment that we really saw, you know, some positive, some anything positive. I was finally, you know, able to move something, and we kind of like celebrated, 
in the, in the room that night because um, I was finally seeing like a glimmer of hope. And I remember he, he called, you know, Coach Paterno that night and like, all my coaches and, uh, you know, everyone was just so excited because finally there was uh, something that was showing that there was uh, a signal going from my, my brain down to my toe and, and that there was, there was a chance. And from that point forward, we really, you know, I really did everything I could to try to increase, you know, that, that, that movement. And we would do basically the way we would work it with my physical therapist. We would do two hours of therapy in the morning, uh, two in the afternoon and, and two at night. So it was six hours of therapy every day. And it was a slow process. You know, when, from the moment that toe moved, it, it went away again for a couple of weeks, but then it finally came back and I started to get some increased movement in the left side of my body. Uh, you know, and then the, the right side started to come along. And the really neat thing that McGee did for me was even before I could walk, I, I got put into a clinical trial. And the clinical trials was something that they call lo- locomotive training. And what they do is they put you in a basically like a parachute harness over a treadmill. And the, the parachute harness holds your body weight. So basically, you simulate the walking motion. And, you know, there's no body weight that you're, you're carrying with your legs. My physical therapists were. Uh, there was one on each side of me and they would help move my legs to really try to get the mind to remember what it was like to walk again. And we did that. You know, we started doing that about uh, a month and a half after my injury. And as my legs started to get stronger and stronger, they would, you know, allow the uh, parachute harness to they would lower the body weight. So, you know, the first time I would do, you know, 10 percent of my body weight, you know, a couple of weeks later, we would do 20 percent. We would gradually increase to a point where I was able to, uh, you know, carry my own body weight over the treadmill with the, of course, with the assistance of my, my physical therapist. But that truly, I believe helped me get back quicker than, you know, I, I had even hoped. And it was uh, you know, it was an eight month process. And the, the thing I, I will always remember was, you know, my, my family was there every day. Um, there would be days when I was in rehab and I remember my physical therapist would say, Hey, someone's here to, to, to see you. And I, I had no idea who it was, but they would say, Hey, you know, I, I either, I went to Penn state or I saw your injury on TV. I just want to come over and, and let you know I was thinking about you. And that was really inspiring for me to see people I'd never even met before that would just stop by a hospital to, to, to say hello or, you know, just let, you know, really be uh, that source of inspiration for me. So I, I, I tell people all the time, I was, one of the most fortunate people in the world to have had just such great support because I don't think any one person can get through that injury. And, you know, being in the hospital for almost a year, uh, you could get down pretty easy. But if you have people around you to support you and get you through it, it was was the best thing in the world. And I remember from the very first day that I was at McGee, Coach Paterno came and he said, you know, Adam, we want you to lead the team out of the tunnel. And this was when I couldn't even move anything. And I remember kind of looking at looking at him like it was crazy. <laughs> but when, when he told me that, I was like, you know what? I, that would be awesome. Like, I, I do want to, I want to be able to do that. And I didn't know if it was going to be the, the next year or the year after. But at some point, that became my goal to, to one day uh, lead the team back out of the tunnel. And, uh, you know, thank, thankfully, I, I had the opportunity to, to do that, that that very next year. Yeah, so we fast forward to September 1st. 2001, Penn State versus Miami at Beaver Stadium in State College. You take the team out on the field. If you're looking, I'm speaking to the audience right now, if you're looking for inspiration, I encourage you to look this video up on the internet, on YouTube, Google Video, whatever you watch, things on the internet. 
you can see the emotion on not only your face, you can feel the emotion in the stadium. You can hear the emotion in Brent Musburger's voice, who's calling the game. Tell us what that feeling was like for you. And I'm sure there were a lot of feelings, but give us a little bit of insight into what that feeling was like when you ultimately did lead the team out to the field that day. Yeah, you know, you know, leading up to leading the team out of the tunnel, you know, I got out of got out of McGee rehab. I was at that time walking with crutches, and my my number one goal was to get back to Penn State. You know, I wanted to get back with my, with my friends, with my teammates, and just get back to being a, a college student again. So that July. I, you know, my parents took me back up to Penn State and I was, I was back, you know, I was walking with crutches. And at that moment, you know, when I got back to Penn State, uh, I remember being with Coach Paterno again and he said, hey, you know, we want you to lead us out of the tunnel. And that was, you know, we were playing against the university. That was going to be our first game of the season against Miami. You know, Beaver Stadium, we had just, they had just expanded the stadium and it was just, you know, it's going to be a night game, nationally televised. And for me, it was like, getting prepared for a game all over again. I, I remember working with our, our trainers and athletic staff and doing everything I could to make sure that I was going to be like in, in my best shape to be able to lead the team out of the tunnel. So I worked out, you know, with our team every day. And I, I, I think, you know, thank to this day, our, our athletic training staff and our, our team trainers, because they, they really worked with me. Like I was a player, like they didn't take it easy on me. And they pushed me every day leading up to that September 1st date. And I remember September 1st came and I remember getting to the stadium, you know, you know riding on our team bus. And I, I felt like I was playing in a game again. It was the, the best feeling. I felt like I was one of the guys again. And I, I, I remember sitting at, at my locker and, uh, you know, Tom Bradley, he, I think he could tell I was a little bit nervous. And he just said, hey, you know, hey, you know, whatever you do, People are going to appreciate you. You just like you know, think about where you were last year. You couldn't even walk, you couldn't move, and here you are getting ready to lead the team out of the tunnel. And when he said that, it kind of you know put me at ease. And uh, I remember they, they, they our, the security came and said, hey, you know, hey Adam, you know, it's, it's your time now. And uh, I remember all, all my teammates were still in the locker room and they were like cheering me on. And then you know, if anyone who's been to Beaver Stadium, when you walk out of the locker room and start walking towards the field you know the fans are on both sides of the the, the the gate so like all the fans were there cheering me on and then i remember getting to the tunnel and um looking up to the scoreboard and like my name was up there and they're like showing a, a short video about my injury and and then they like they put me on the scoreboard and like i never heard the stadium that loud and like something just went through me a feeling i never felt just like this adrenaline and the, the really cool part about it was you know of course my parents were there my family but all of the, anyone who really had a part of my recovery was in the stadium like my physical therapists were there and just so many people that helped me over the last year were all in that stadium and uh i remember the our PA announcer, you know, calling calling my name to come out, and uh, at that moment, I was like, you know, I'm just gonna walk out. But then, as the crowd like got louder, it like really just pushed me to try to like skip and and run to the best of my ability. And uh, it was like uh, probably one of the best feelings, you know, of my life at that time. Just being able to show everyone, like well, one, just say, you know, just thank everybody for everything they had done to get me to that point. But, you know, I think even more importantly, it's just to show everybody that I was okay. Like I was, I was back. I was running, you know, somewhat running again. And, um, you know, that, that, that five, 10, five, 10 minute uh, moment before the game was one of the most 
uh, special experiences I've, I've ever had uh, on the football field. And I'll, you know, forever thankful to Penn State football and Coach Paterno for, for allowing me that, that opportunity. I always say, you know, after the, the ball was kicked off that, that day, things went downhill pretty quick because you played probably one of the best college football teams ever in University of Miami who won the national championship that year. But everything uh, leading up to that was just a, a really cool experience. Yes, game result aside, what a <laughs> what a cool moment for you, for your family, uh, an amazing achievement, and for the Penn State community to be able to share that with you. It had to be an awesome moment. I remember watching it on TV. I wasn't there personally, but I do remember watching it on TV. With your college playing career over, your NFL dream with that over as well, but your recovery starting to go well. You alluded to this a little bit. You wanted to just get back on campus, you know, be with your friends, bring a little bit of normalcy back to your life. Talk to us about what the transition process was like for you when you had that realization and probably had that real talk with yourself and maybe your family to say like, okay, the NFL is not going to happen, but there is a life for me after sports. And what was that like in college? What was that like after college where you said, okay, what, what am I going to do with myself now? Yeah, it was, you know, it was just a, a different experience. I remember, you know, before I got back, you know, as I was making plans to get back to Penn State, um, Tony Johnson, who was, you know, we came in together. He was mm-hmm. a wide receiver. And Tony called me and said, hey, man, well, you know, let's live together. And I was like, oh, that, that's awesome because, we you know, we were all living in, in uh, the dorms. Mm-hmm. At that time, and then, you know, after the big step, you know, when you're at Penn State, it's, you know, certainly while you're playing football, you, you want to get out of the dorms and, and move into an apartment. So Tony and myself and a guy from Tony Johnson and Seth Mills and Jesse Newmar all lived together. You know, I came back and those three guys, man, I'll tell you, you know, as a, when you're living at a house, you know, even as a, you just think you're going to have some responsibilities, but they took care of everything. Like they washed the dishes, they did all the cleaning. And for me, it was just like, you just got to live here, and, you know, just hang out, man. We'll take care of you. And those three guys that, that first year really made, you know, just from a, a home life perspective, just made things so easy for me. And then, uh, you know, getting back into the, the, the swing of thing of going to class, you know, people kind of forget, you know, most people walk to class. But for me at that time, it was still difficult walking. So, uh, you know, I was just, you know, Penn State was great with, you know, I, I had a car. They allowed me to park wherever I, you know, parking, you know, wherever I needed to, to get to, to class. And, you know, our, our team uh, academic advisor, Todd Kolka, really helped me. And Don Farrell at that time really helped me to focus in on, on what I wanted to do with my life. And it came out with, you know, I started thinking about it and I really wanted to be involved in sports in some capacity. So I thought maybe I, I want to try to be a sports agent and represent my, my friends and teammates that were going on to play in the NFL. So uh, I kind of went on that path towards uh, towards law because I said, you know, maybe I'll go to law school and, you know, get a, get my law degree and be able to negotiate contracts for my, my, my friends that, that play in the NFL. So I, um, you know, Penn State was awesome with it. I got a, an internship. Uh, one summer, you know, the summer after my injury, and I went down and I uh, worked for the NFL, the NFL Players Association down in D.C. Uh, for a summer. And then I uh, actually worked with a, a sports agent, a guy by the name of Gerald Colton, uh, for a summer. So that really helped me understand, like, that's the path I want to I want to go. But uh, sports, you know, working with athletes, they're, athletes are awesome, but they're also crazy. And trying to, you know, base my livelihood on the decisions of uh, an athlete, was a little, maybe a little nervous. I decided to go to the corporate route, 
uh, corporate law. I went to, you know, thankfully graduated from Penn State and decided to go to law school. And I, I ended up going to Rutgers, coming back home to Jersey, went to Rutgers Law School and uh, started on the path towards, towards corporate law, specifically labor and employment law. And uh, that, that's kind of how I got into uh, the, the law path. And it was for me, it was it was really a, a great opportunity. But, you know, I remember the first day I stepped on campus at Rutgers. I realized I was no longer at Penn State anymore. You know, I just you know, just missed Penn State tremendously. But uh, it was for me, it was like the next chapter in life, and um, it was a it was a really exciting experience uh, going to law school. One more quick break. I want to talk about my second sponsor, Taylor Digital. Taylor Digital is a virtual design company that helps solopreneurs get established online with a cohesive image, so they can feel more confident in their business. Taylor Digital offers branding, social media design, and Squarespace website design. My website, www.talent409.com, that was done by Taylor Digital. She's awesome. It's not going to look girly if you're a guy. Don't worry about that. But if you are a girl and you want it to look girly, she can do that for you too. Go to taylordigital.com to set up your free consultation today. That's Taylor, T-A-Y-L-A-R. I didn't name her. Her parents did. And now back to the pod. We're going to go through some mile markers in your life real quick, if that's okay. Sure. We're going to catch us up to a little bit more of the current part of your life. So staying in 2001, uh, Sam Carcitti and Scott Brown, they, I'm assuming, come to you, your family, and have this idea to write a book. Fast forward a little bit in 2001, they write this book. It's called Miracle in the Making. What was that experience like? And why was it important to you to document what had happened up to that point? Yeah, it was for me, it was Sam and, and Scott. They were both writing for local newspapers in the, the Philadelphia region. And they would basically come like every couple of weeks to write update stories for, for the newspaper. I remember Sam and Scott, you know, we're sitting in my room one day and they're like, hey, you know, what would you think about us coming, you know, every day and trying to, to make this into a book? And, you know, as a 17 year old kid, I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, <laughs> to have a book about me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally, totally for it. And they made it easy on me. Basically, they would just ask me questions uh, every day and would take notes and, and this is a, a, a year-long process, and when I, remember when I got back to Penn State, they would just send me chapters that they were writing just, you know, for me to, to sign off on, and it was a really neat experience. And for me, the, why I really wanted to do the book was to really try to give people hope, because when I was in the hospital, I saw a lot of people that were going through the same injury as me that didn't have the same type of support that I had. There were people that were just, you know, sometimes giving up. And I wanted people to know that there's there's hope, that there's positive things that can happen if you have, you know, the belief, you know, the belief in yourself and the belief of others around you. That was the goal. So, we, you know, we titled the book Miracle in the Making. And with the book, my, 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 I, I try to give the book to as many people that I know that are going through the same injury that I had or going through anything in life. Mm-hmm. Because I want them, you know, now that I'm walking today, I think some people realize, you know, don't realize the struggle that I had. The struggle that I had is the same struggle that they're probably still go, that they're going through currently. So um, I just really wanted to be a, a, a tale of hope and to really, you know, help inspire people. Say, hey, you know, if Adam could do it, shoot, I can do the same thing. And 
and that's how we look at it. And I try to provide that um that motivation for people. So I'm 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 always you know forever be thankful for 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 Scott and Sam for for taking a, a chance and and writing the book. And uh, I think they they did a great job. And I'm just uh, you know. For me, it's so hard to believe, although the book's been out for 18 years now, to say, you know, that there's a book written about my story is, uh, you know, it's still a cool thing to this day. Yeah, and I personally, I've tweeted at you a couple times throughout the years. I've read it myself a few times. It is a very powerful book about courage, persistence, and just a really great story and the achievements that you've made, you know, then and the things that you're doing now. You should uh, think about doing a, a second book to <laughs> kind of bridge everything together uh, some, yeah, somewhere really in, the, <laughs> in the future. In 2012, we're going to fast forward about a decade. You were elected to the Penn State University Board of Trustees. Why was it important to you to seek election and appointment on the board with the university at that point in time? Yeah, so... Uh, you know, as many people know, you know, there were some unfortunate circumstances at, at Penn State, you know, specifically around Jerry Sandusky and the horrible things that he did that just affected the entire Penn State community. And I really felt like the, the whole community was just reeling and there was just so much craziness going around. And, you know, the, the way that the board handled Coach Paterno and just everything, and it really triggered something in me to, to want to help in any way that I that I could because Penn State was a place that helped me so much throughout my recovery. I say, you know, well, I want to do whatever I can to, you know, help give back to, to Penn State in some capacity. So I, um, you know, I talked to a couple of people and I said, hey, why don't you, you know, run for the run for the uh, board? And I had never, you know, to be honest with you, wasn't really, I never really had any interactions with the, the trustee board or knew, you know, <laughs> fully what the board was responsible for. But the more research that I did, I started to believe like this is a way I could really, you know, make an impact and try to bring people together and, and heal, you know, the, the Penn State community. So I, you know, ran as an alumni uh, elected trustee and thankfully was elected to the board. And it was a, a really a unique experience. You know, I had knew that there was some division amongst, you know, the Penn State board at that time, but I didn't know how deep the, the true division was amongst members of the board and, I went in there hoping to try to bring people together because at the end of the day, I would always say we're all Penn Staters. We all want what's best for the, you know, the Penn State community and, and the school. And that's how I tried to go about it for the, the three years that I was on the board. And, you know, it was one of the toughest, you know, assignments that I've ever been a part of because, I, you know, they had the free, the free report. And just so many different things that were going on at that time. So it was a, it's a time that I always look back on that I, you know, I, I look back and I say, you know, I tried my best to, to help uh, in my own way. But I, and I'm thankful, you know, looking back and looking to where the school is now, I think, you know, and I hope that we created, you know, helped to create some of the foundation of the success that has come, you know, out of all of that stuff. So. You know, I will be forever thankful for the opportunity to have served on the board and, you know, I'm thankful to the people that are still doing it today because I know it's not an easy job. It's one of the, the toughest experiences I've ever had an opportunity to uh, engage with in my, uh, <laughs> in my life, really. Would you say that your proudest accomplishment while you were on the board then was setting up new standards, procedures, policies for safety 
on campus and within the university and really helping them move in a direction that I don't want to say got away from the Penn State of old, but put the university on a track where they, I think they realized that they were a lot of areas that needed modernization that needed change in the fresh voices that came in yourself and some other folks throughout the years. And we're not even talking about, you know, football. We're just talking about the university in general. You know, I guess what, what would you say? I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what would you say is the proudest achievement that you had while you were on the board? Uh, you know, I think that's, that's a, a great question. And, you know, I've been off the board some time. I've never, you know, to be honest with you, I never really did that self-reflection to, to think about, you know, what what is the proudest moment? Because the thing that I think about when I was on the board, there was so much information going around and, and also misinformation, you know, mm-hmm. from for throughout the, the, the country at that time. You know, people were talking about Penn State like it was this horrible place and, you know, lumping all of Penn State into the actions of, of one individual. So at that time, you know, one of the biggest things I was looking to do was to let people know, like, Penn State is an awesome place. Penn State, you know, is made up of great alumni, great students that have done and are doing so much for, for, for this world. And there's, there's just so many good people here. So I think, you know, and, you know, dealing with the President Barron and other, you know, trustees at that time, they were certainly – you know, some, some recommendations that needed to be put in place to make sure that uh, you no know, situations that occurred never uh, occurred again. But I think that the thing that I'll, I'll always be proud of is that at that time, as I said, there was there was just so much, and it's hard to even put into words just how divisive things were internally on, on the trustee board at that time. And I, I think the one thing that, you know, and I don't think a lot of people, you know, and it wasn't for people to see outwardly, but I think inwardly, one of the things that I, I I'll be proud of is you know trying to service that bridge to say hey guys you know I know I know we look at things differently you know idealistically we have you know different ways that we want to take this university but let's try to work together and in every trustee meeting you know we would have our closed door meetings and my my role there was just really trying to get people there were times when like trustees didn't even want to talk to one another mm-hmm. and I would try to say you know be that bridge and say hey guys I know, I, I know we've got our differences. But for the good of the school, let's figure out how we can work together. Let's figure out how we can, you know, make this university what we want to make it. Let's let's show people what Penn State truly is about. So for, for me, you know, outwardly, I, I can't say there was like, you know, one thing that I'm, I'm truly proud of. But from an internal perspective, the thing that I think was probably my, my best achievement was just really trying, getting people to, trying to get people to work together in a truly, truly difficult, divisive time, you know, amongst our board members. And I hope, you know, looking back on that, though, you know, they they would say the same thing. Yeah, and I can say as a fellow Penn Stater, and I sure I speak on behalf of a lot of Penn Staters across the world, we appreciate the hard work that you've put in and that the other members have put in to really help uh, just repair something that was really divisive and fractured for a moment. There. And, uh, I think the university and the community as a whole right now feels a lot better about things than we did five, six years ago. And, you know, so we really appreciate you know, people like you going in at the ground level and really trying to make things better for the future. No, I, I appreciate it, but I always tell people, you know, trustee board is only, you know, 30, you know, 30, 40, 
members of the Penn State community. It really took the entire community as a whole to come together to, to really, you know, put Penn State in a position that it is today. So I'm, I'm thankful for just our awesome alumni base and, you know, every anyone that's associated with the Penn State community. So for always, you know, keeping the faith and really doing all that they could to, you know, put, you know, Penn State where it is today. So, you know, I'm, I'm thankful just to be a, a small part of uh, an awesome group of people. Absolutely. And you kind of opened up a little bit about where this conversation is going to go in about two minutes. We're going to talk a little bit more about your character uh, throughout the years and different things like that. But before we get there, the last mile marker I want to touch on is just what you're currently doing right now uh, in the General Assembly of, I believe it's the third district in New Jersey, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So what's that job like? What are you hoping to accomplish in that role? Yeah, you know, it's, it's been great since um, the year 2015. I was elected to our, our New Jersey State General Assembly. So, uh, you know, of course, we got the New Jersey Senate. And uh, I'm on the other side of the House and, the, you know, the House of Representatives. But, you know, here in New Jersey, we call it the General Assembly. And um, I've been fortunate where, I, you know, now I, I chair our Law and Public Safety Committee. So, you know, one of my main goals and objectives is to make sure that, you know, here in the state of New Jersey that we're, doing everything we can to, to, to promote, you know, good pu public policy in, in, in the realm of, uh, you know, law and public safety. So deal a lot with our police and, and, and fire and really the men and women uh, here in our state that are protecting us each and every day. And some of, you know, some of the most brave people I've ever met in my life. So it's a, it's a obligation that, that I don't take lightly, but certainly honored to, to have the opportunity to do it, you know, each and every day. But here in New Jersey, we're, we're what they call a, a part-time legislature. So, uh, you know, serving as a legislator is, is, is not our full time, you know, occupation. And, and I'm thankful uh, where I work for Bristol um, Myers Squibb, a pharmaceutical company where I, uh, you know, lead our state advocacy and alliance development. So the really unique thing about my role is, you know, I don't sell, you know, drugs or anything like that. But my, my main goal is to really help patients get access to the medications that they need. So it's a, a wonderful opportunity for me where I really each and every day get to interact with people all across this country that are trying to overcome, you know, you know, these horrible diseases, whether it's cancer or, you know, uh, HIV or, you know, dealing with other uh, immune uh, issues that they're dealing with and really trying to help them navigate the healthcare system and help them, helping them to advocate for policies that really can affect their, um, their access to the medications that they need on a, on a daily basis. So I'm, I'm fortunate, super fortunate on both sides of the fence, whether it's, you know, my, my daytime job working in uh, state advocacy or, you know, working, um, as, as a legislator here in the state of New Jersey, I get to interact with the people each and every day that are trying to make, you know, their lives and, and, and this place a little bit better. So I, I, I truly feel fortunate that, uh, I had that opportunity, and the, the great thing about it is just I'm just really inspired uh, each day by the people that I work with, and uh, hope, hope you know, if, if everything goes as according to plan, I hope to continue to do this for for the long run. Absolutely, that's awesome work, and we really wish you the best of luck and future success with everything that you're looking to do in that realm and with anything else. You obviously, have a dynamic skill set and personality, and. I want to transition then to, as I mentioned, a little bit about your character. And the reason that I want to talk about this is because I have here a number of different quotes that I've highlighted, written down, that I've read in the book, or I've read 
through different stories online, just doing research on you and reading about you throughout the years. I'm going to read some of these off and I want you to tell us why your character and why being a good person is so important to you because some of these quotes I'm going to read off real quick are from when you were a kid or from when you were a teenager or you know, now when you're an adult and you're trying to bridge the decisiveness between a, a really tough situation, you know, on the, on the board at Penn state and everything. So talk to us a little bit, I'm going to read these real quick and then tell us a little bit about why character and being such a good person is so important to you. First quote was, I want my children to be like Adam. Another quote came from a coach and it said, he's a coach's dream. Good student, great kid, great character, great work ethic, wants to be great, is willing to work. As I said, those are just a couple quotes, but it just goes back to say that when you were younger and now in your current state, character seems to have always been at the forefront of who you are. Give us a little insight into that. Uh, I mean, from my perspective, it's, it's hard for me to you know, take any credit for it because I think, you know, I think like most people, it starts with the people that you're around, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, as I said, my, my parents from, from day one were really did all that they could to instill in, in myself and my brother, just the, the, the quality of, of being a good person. You know, for me, I was fortunate to have had a, a good athletic career. And I think at the end of the day, you're only going to be an athlete for, for so long, you know, you, mm-hmm. you know, my career was cut short and, some people are fortunate to go and play in the NFL, but, uh, you know, most importantly, people, they'll remember you as an athlete, but more importantly, they'll remember you as a person. And one thing that was always really important to me was just trying to make a good impression on, on people. I think, you know, when you're dealing with the athletes and, and other people, sometimes they have in the back of their mind, you know, what you're going to be like, you know, maybe you're going to be cocky or whatever it may be, but I really wanted to be, you know, as respectful as I could. And even to this day, you know, regardless of uh, what position I'm in, whether I'm a legislator or whatever it may be, at the end of the day, you're just a person. And mm-hmm. um, I want people to realize I'm just a, a guy that wants to work hard and, and, and do whatever I can to, to help people because I always thought about, even at a young age, that I was just fortunate to be in the position that I was, you know. Growing up, I grew up in a, a great neighborhood Everything always had everything that I wanted, and uh, I realized that I a lot of people didn't have that those luxuries. So uh, I lived this life as someone who's just you know thankful and, and humbled by the opportunities that I've had thus far. And I really want to do whatever I can to to one let people know that I'm, I'm thankful, and also to let people know that we're all the same at the end of the day, whether you're, you're rich, poor, whatever it may be. We're, we're the same people. I think it started, you know, with my, my, my parents because they both started out in humble beginnings and thankfully gave you know, my brother and I a, a great life. And, you know, I want to do the same thing. I've got kids now. I want to do the same thing for them and, you know, be a role model for them. So it's, uh, you know, it's something that I can't take credit for. I, I, I grew up with having great coaches too. You know, I remember my football coaches, I had one coach who would always say, don't talk about it, be about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, talk a good game and say they're going to do this and do that, but their actions don't equate to to what they're saying. And I've always been on the mindset, you know, I, I just want to, I've never been a big talk. I never, you know, if you ask my parents, I, I don't talk a lot, <laughs> but I, I hope my actions show what I'm, what I'm truly about. And that's how I try to, to lead my life professionally, 
uh, politically and, you know, in my home life as well, is just let my actions, you know, speak louder than words. And I think if we all do that, there, there will be no, you know, confusion. People will know what you're about at the end of the day. Absolutely. And I love that quote. Remember, people will remember you as an athlete, but more importantly, they'll remember you as a person. I think that's so powerful and really at the core of what this podcast is about is really that transition from being an athlete to life after sports and just realizing that there's so much more to life than just competing in competition and, and different sure. things like that. Uh, so I, I really appreciate that quote. I just have a few questions left here as we get towards the latter part of our conversation. There's, there's probably not enough time uh, to, and not enough words to describe what your family and especially your parents have med, meant to you as a foundation, as an influence in your life. But if you could just dive into a, a little bit more about why it's been so important having them as the backbone, we'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, no, I mean, as, as I mean, it's hard to put into words, you know, the, the, how fortunate I feel like, you know, I've been and my brother to have, you know, two parents who have been there from, from day one to really, you know, set you straight. I mean, I mean like for, for, for me, my dad, he was, uh, my, my coach, you know, from the age, from the age of seven, um, really just telling me what I needed to do, not, not just on the field, but, but off the field. And then, you know, I have my mom there who, you know, growing up, she, she was, you know, stayed at home with us. You know, she could have been, she had a career and then, uh, you know, she went, she had my brother and I decided to stay home and was that constant role model for us. My dad traveled a good amount when uh, we were growing up and she was, you know, there each and every day. But the thing, you know, you expect your parents to be there, you know, as you're growing up. But I think the, the thing that really will forever stick with me is, um, you know, when I got hurt, they were there, you know, literally every minute of the day that I was in the hospital, they were there from the time I woke up, my mom was there. She would leave and pick up because my brother was in high school at that time. She would leave and pick up my brother. And as my mom was leaving, my dad would come in. He stayed till I went to sleep. I look back on that. It's like now that I'm a parent, it's just like wow. Like that, it's just again hard to put into words. Just the support that they've given me and my brother every step of the way. I mean, every everything that we've done, they've been our biggest supporters. And uh, like my brother, he's He's uh, four years younger than me. After I got injured, I tell people he kind of became big brother because there's a lot of things, even to this day, that I can't do physically anymore. But he's there to, to kind of be, be be my backup and, and sure. to help me so much in life, you know. Because like I said, to this day, I still have my physical limitations. You know, I can't can't really run. You know, my right side's a little bit weaker than the left side, and just overall, it's just things physically. I you know lifting stuff at the house and different things like that where. You know, I'm just lucky to have just, uh, you know, great people around me to, to help me get through life. And, you know, now that I have you know, kids of my own, my goal is to be the parents that my, my parents were for me. Because if I can kind of be half of that for, for my kids, then I'll, I think I'll be, uh, I'll be doing a lot. At Talent 409, we define dynamic leadership as people that lead on the field and off the field and make a true impact on others. If you had to shout out someone in your own life, who's a dynamic leader, could be somebody that you already mentioned, your parents or a coach that you played for a teammate that you had in the past. 
Can you give us one person that you want to identify that's a dynamic leader in your mind? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I, of course, I, I think, you know, it'll always be my parents for me. I, I, I think they, you know, without having to even tell me, they kind of set the example of how to good, be good people, how to, how to give back, how to just, you know, live the, live a good life. And it's an example that I, I try to take with me to this day. But I think, you know, someone who had an impact on me, you know, as an athlete and, and just as a person outside of my family, I think it would be, I had a high school basketball coach, uh, his name was Dave Allen. He got hired uh, as our basketball coach at our high school after my sophomore year. He was only like 26 years old. So he was only like, you know, 10 years older than us. So he's a really young guy. But a lot of, I I still remember like in practices, just a lot of things that he would tell us about life and about just mental preparation. He would always say, you know, the mental, the, the mental is the physical, as far as the one. I remember in high school, we didn't know what the heck he was talking about. But you know, <laughs> as we grew up, I, it really helped me to understand, like, just the, the mental aspects of being prepared, understanding your opponent. You know, at that time, and just so many things that he said back then that can truly you know, apply not only to athletics, but to life in general really, you know, helped me along the way. And, you know, he's someone who I, I still talk to to this day. And I remember myself and some of our teammates would get frustrated with him at times because you didn't understand, you know, what he was talking about back then. But now, you know, looking back, looking back at the times, like, oh, man, you know, it all makes sense now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I appreciate him. And, and you know, it, it's, it's so hard to name just one because, you know, then, you know my, one of my football coaches, as I said, he would always say, Coach Worthington would always say, don't talk about it, be about it. Mm-hmm. And that was his motto. And that's a motto that I still use whenever I, you know, I do like public speaking. I use that motto all the time because it's so true. You know, even in today's times, I think in, in throughout life, yeah, you, you encounter so many people that just, you know, talk about what they're going to do or you know, just talk a good game, but their actions don't back it up. But at the end of the day, it's, it's how you act. It's what you do. Which what truly makes an impact on people's lives. So um, he, he's another person that I'll, I'll always appreciate. But the, again, it's hard to just name people because there's so many people that have had an influence and impact on my life that that really helped uh, make me the person that I am today. And I'm, I'm thankful for for all those people. Yeah, and I think that having so many people to choose from just speaks to the fact that you've surrounded yourself with a really great foundation of support and guidance. And that speaks to what your character is these days. So it's no surprise that it's really hard for you to narrow it down to just one person. I'm not really surprised on that. (laughs) Last question here for me. I'm going to uh, read you off a quote. I'd like you to reflect off of it. This quote comes from Coach Paterno from your book. And he says, sometimes you don't know what courage is until you are around some people who have to look forward to what Adam's parents have to look forward to as far as a whole different lifestyle with their young son. When you hear that quote today, especially the part about the courage and knowing the battles that when Coach Paterno gave that quote back in 2000, 2001, knowing what you were up against, knowing where you are today, when it comes to courage and perseverance, and if you had to tell your kids or when you're speaking as a public speaker, as you mentioned, 
Can you tell us what that quote means to you to know that you've had the courage and the perseverance to achieve this remarkable recovery? Yeah, you know, I tell people all the time, like Coach Paterno, he was a great coach, but when I went through my greatest adversity, I really saw the person that he was. And for me, I don't mention that because it often goes without saying just the impact that he had on my life. And to Mm -hmm. to your point, the quote that he, you know, said about courage and perseverance, I, I couldn't agree more because. You know, with my parents, I, I don't, and I tell people all the time, I, I didn't have any adversity growing up. I never had any adversity. My, my, my only adversity was going through my injury. Mm-hmm. But as Coach had mentioned, when you're going through adversity, it really causes you to look inwardly and, and pull, pull a level of courage and perseverance out of you that you never even knew you had. And the only way that you can get to it is by going through that adversity. So, you know, Coach Patrano's probably one of the smartest people that I've ever been around and I know he's you know he went through his adversities and we all go through adversities but I think that quote really tells you like don't give up you're gonna you're gonna have times in your life that you think you know how the heck am I gonna get through this or or why me but when you go through these circumstances it it, it only makes you a better person makes you a stronger person and, and, you know, oftentimes you'll hear what doesn't kill me only makes me stronger. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I truly believe that. And I truly believe that when you're going through these tough times, it, it makes you it, it makes you take your life to a whole nother level, whether it's pulling out that courage and perseverance, whatever it may be. You rise to it. You rise to that occasion. And um, it's not just one person. It's, it's a it's led many great teams, you know, to do his coaching career. And, uh, you know, he equated he that to the work that my parents were going to be having to go through with me. And they, you know, they, they led me through my toughest journey. And I'm sure they found courage that they didn't even know that they had. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm thankful that they, they found that and uh, something that I will continue to, to, to try to work on myself. And I, I pray every day that I don't, you know, my kids don't have to go through any adversity like, like I went through. But if, if that time comes, you know, we'll be prepared to, uh, you know, help them in any way that we can. And we'll find that, that courage, we'll find that perseverance to let them know that they can overcome their, their greatest adversity. Thank you so much for that and so much for this conversation. Before I let you go, do you have any final thoughts for us? Any parting shots you want to make? Uh, anything, you know, with your speaking coming up or anything exciting coming up in your life? No, you know, from, from my perspective, I, you know, my entry you know, this year it'll be 19 years. Next year it'll be 20 years. And I'm just you know, thankful and honored that you know people still want to hear about my story and hear about some of the, the lessons that I learned going through it. Because I I truly believe you know the, the injury. You know, it was horrible going through the injury, but the life lessons that I learned going through that injury were, were priceless. So you know, every day I continue to to, to be thankful. And, and as I said, now that I have kids, I, it makes me realize this how how precious life is. And you know, there, there's no longer any bad days, but just uh, good days and, and blessings. So I, I feel like I'm one of the most blessed, lucky people in the world. And uh, you know, thankful for this opportunity to to talk to you. And I appreciate everything that you do. And if people want to get in touch with you, you know, if maybe they're going through a similar injury or a moment of adversity and they want to reach out or learn more about the book or anything just in general, where would you direct them? Yes. Uh, you know, of course, I'm on all the social media, you know, Twitter, um, Tally, 
T-A-L-I-4-3 on Twitter. You know, people can always reach me there. But we also, you know, if you want to learn more uh, about the foundation or, if, you know, need help with anything, we, it's talaferrofoundation.org. And um, you can reach out to us. And if we could help support you, you know, emotionally, financially, that's certainly, you know, what the foundation was created for. So I would say, you know, uh, always feel free to reach out to us on the foundation webpage, you know, reach out to me on social media. And uh, I'm always uh, happy to talk and, and figure out how we can uh, get through life. Absolutely. And I'm great. I'm glad you brought up the foundation because before, finally, before I let you go, I want to let you know that. So I'm you know, doing research and I came across the foundation. And for those who don't know, uh, supports others with you know spinal cord injuries I think I saw that you guys raised somewhere around $80,000 a year, which is awesome. And I just wanted to let you know that with, with my firm, when I do business with other people, I always donate a portion of my, of the business to the local Alzheimer's association. That's something that's really important to me. My grandmother had passed away from Alzheimer's and it's a way for me to give back. I'm an advocacy coordinator down here in Charlotte. And I just want to let you know that I've decided since we've had this conversation and you've been really gracious with your time that the next time I land a deal uh, with this firm, the portion that I normally donate to the Alzheimer's Association, I'm going to donate to your foundation as a way to say thank you for not only this conversation, but I think this was really inspirational for me. It was really informative and I'm hopeful that the audience that listens to it feels that way as well and that they're going to reach out and interact and learn from you. And I think, you know, giving back is just not only the right thing to do, but, you know, I, I feel really good about the purpose and the message that you have not only for the foundation, but for your life. And I'd love to be able to support you in any way possible. I, I truly, truly appreciate that. And, um, you know, just thank you. You know, our, our foundation is a, uh, you know, 100% of, you know, anything that we raise goes back to not only helping people with spinal cord injuries, but we've really expanded out to really anyone going through a catastrophic injury. It doesn't even really catastrophic, but just you know, anyone going through a life-altering situation where we can um, help them out in any way. And, you know, to your work around Alzheimer's, you know, thank you for that because I, I have to say there's, there's so many different clothes that, that, that touch our lives and you know the most important thing is if you know you have something that touch your life touches your life if you're able to do something about it and make an impact that that truly makes a difference so you know on behalf of our foundation thank you for for the work that you're doing and um uh can't can't thank you enough yeah thank you again adam we really appreciate your time the book is miracle in the making by scott brown and sam carcidi it's on amazon and throughout all bookstores across the country Adam, we wish it best of luck in the future again. Thanks so much for coming on today. I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you so much, and uh, have, have a great new year. Thanks again to Adam for jumping on the pod today and telling us more about his story, his career in athletics, and what he's doing now. It's such a powerful story when you learn about how courageous Adam was and the persistence that he's overcome and gone through and the things that he's still looking to set out to do today. It's a really great role model, and I hope you all get a chance to read more about him, to learn more about him. Take a look at his book, Miracle in the Making, The Adam Talaferro Story by Scott Brown and Sam Carcidi. We are back next week with another guest. 
Thanks again to our sponsors, Sweat With Stods and Taylor Digital. And thanks to you, the listeners, for listening to the pod. And until next time... sound